Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce, joined as ever by Christy Doran, who's picked himself up off the canvas uh, with some broken glasses. Uh, mate, this is a big inclusion for you, considering what's going on. I don't want to compare it to State of Origin and taking the needle to run out there on Wednesday night, but um, huge effort from you to join us uh, under such uh, duress. Yeah, I'll tell you what, anyone that's ever had to wear spectacles and I've been doing it since I was five, it's a disaster when you eventually break and we won't get to the details of, of how, but uh, looking forward to um, going going to the optometrist sooner rather than later. The, the old lenses are a bit wonky at the moment, but um, we'll push through it. Mate, uh, hopefully we got you back in 2020 before too long. <laughs> um, before we rip into a bit of uh, Super Rugby Pacific, some Wallabies and of course, about to hit 100 days to the Rugby World Cup this week. Countdown that uh, comes around on Wednesday. So before we touch on a little bit of that, some stuff going on at Twickenham as well, obviously with Messrs. Falau, Jones, Crevy and Cooper. Um, some news hot off the press virtually this afternoon. I'm sure some people may well have been watching uh, via YouTube. Uh, the Junior Wallabies, a big win over the, the Junior All Blacks in the first of their two games uh, in New Zealand. Uh, 34-26, um, led from start to finish, I believe, uh, and uh, yeah, a big performance from young Waratahs, number nine, and their skipper, the junior Wallabies, Teddy Wilson, uh, has played a few minutes off the bench this season, and I think even a couple of appearances last as well. Um, Ronan Lee, Lee, Lee um, apologies if we haven't quite nailed that one with a hat trick, um, but uh, after a pretty, I guess, dismal weekend for Australian rugby on a lot of aspects, Christy, this is a a real shot in the arm on a Monday afternoon to see these guys getting a W over there. Of course, this is a preparation for the Junior World Championship, which is in South Africa uh, in June. Um, as I said, play again the second game on Saturday, but a great win here to kick things off. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a huge win. And there was a couple of standouts in the in the match. Uh, you know, certainly Teddy Wilson, who, by the way, is uh, going to re-sign with the Waratahs on a, on a new one-year Deal had some interest with the Rebels, but turned them down. So that's quite significant for the Tars going forward. But he was excellent. His Tars partner, Jack Bowen, was too. The number eight um, quality as well. So that's a it's a big win because you, know, you, you think about back to 2019 and it was a bit of a disaster, that campaign. But some of the players that came through that made the Junior Wallabies um, side that year went on to make the junior uh, under-20s World Cup. And we talk about guys like Fraser McWright, um, you know, Lockie Lonigan, Nick Frost, Mark Noangan and Iwasi. This real group of core players came through that are now certainly in that mix for the World Cup this year, a number of them. So success at an under-20s level is, is crucial and a great performance, good for Nathan Gray, who's had a tough couple of years, been biding his um, time with the, the junior Wallabies team, which wasn't always able to get together and play during COVID. So that's a great, great victory. Yeah, it's been a few years, of course, since this uh, Junior World Championship, which the the Junior Wallabies and All Blacks will contest uh, next month, as I said, has been played because of COVID. Um, but we'll be in South Africa and it's um, yeah, it's a key pathway, isn't it? You, you mentioned those yeah. guys that have that have come through and gone on to to Super Rugby level and Wallabies level. And, and that's going to be the case with the World Cup this year. Um, just today, I think they had to survive two late yellow cards as well. 
Um, so we're down to 13 men. So um, pretty slippery conditions uh, on hand, but um, a big win and a nice little uh, change of uh, fortune for anyone uh, with an Australian rugby eye uh, following the weekend, which is where we, we head now. And I, I guess it's probably start with the biggest game of the weekend, Christy and Canberra um, between the Brumbies and Chiefs and a fairly disappointing result, I think amplified by what happened the week prior for the Brumbies when they took a, an understrength team or grossly understrength team to Perth to, to face the force. There were some Wallabies rest protocols in there as well, but probably a few too many. Um, they got promptly beaten and, and well beaten by the force. Uh, so you would have expected them to come out this week and really be keen to, to execute on a chilly night in Canberra, it must be said, but they're all chilly this time of year at GIO. Uh, beaten 34, uh, 31-21, um, never really looked in it. A late try to add a bit of respect to the scoreboard. But um, I don't know how you found this one, but I was fairly disappointed, particularly after the Waratahs game earlier in the day with some of the rugby smarts, the decision-making and the execution of skills that were on show. Uh, Chiefs defended really well, it must be said. But um, I think one of the Brumbies' worst performances of the year um, with the strength of that lineup, um, if not the worst of all. I think you're right. They, the rugby smarts is a good way to put it because at no stage, like you don't beat the Chiefs by playing Chiefs kind of rugby, which is open, expansive, counter-attacking kind of rugby. And it was interesting from the opening kickoff, the Brumbies shaping to, to kick and then playing to the open side. Tom Wright made a break and you thought, here we go. Uh, that That's positive, but it was just a bit of a slippery slope from that point onwards. I, I, a couple of months, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you were at the game, a, a good six weeks earlier, the, the Chiefs came across and played the Waratahs. And I don't know if you remember the game, but it was, it was yeah, obviously in Sydney. And, and yep. Chiefs won pretty comfortably. They dominated uh, possession and territory. Tars were forced to make a thousand tackles, but the Chiefs' continuity was, was terrible. It was, and, and in fact, Eddie Jones described it as one of the worst games he's ever seen from the Chiefs' play. But it came after the Chiefs decided to rest a handful of players. And they'd clearly come back in, but for whatever reason, the cohesion and the continuity wasn't there. I think we saw that from the Brumbies on the weekend where. You bring in a, a thousand different players all over the place, and yes, they might train together a fair bit, but it's it just you know things don't they're not clockwork, are they? And, and we didn't see any form of rhythm in the game. And and James Hallwill a number of times described it as disjointed, and I thought he was just spot on. It was it was a messy performance. Um, the set piece didn't function like it usually does. The rolling more was was certainly stopped uh, the Chiefs did outstandingly there but I think we missed Nick White experience he brings as well yep. Uh, yep. And, and even a couple of the decision making things from from Tom Wright and and I believe he had picked up a little injury and that was the reason why he didn't play the week early maybe we just saw a little bit of that on show too yeah a forgettable pass forgettable from Tom Wright um, in particular which he probably won't reflect on well at all himself uh, Andy Muirhead unmarked well, certainly with a real chance to score in the corner there uh, late in the first half, I think. Um, not so much a, a catch and pass, but pretty close to. But what was uh, delivered was was fairly ordinary. Um, it was a try-scoring opportunity. Um, and I really felt that was a big moment there. I think it was virtually on half time. 
um, had the Brahms been able to, to peg one back there, having dominated possession and territory as they did throughout the match. Um, and you're right, disjointed is, as James Hall said, the, the correct way to kind of describe the performance from top to bottom. Um, it's, I, I just wonder, yeah, how much that week, as you said, having those guys sit out, um, it's not just the week, but you lot that loss of continuity and cohesion and, we know it's not a, a new problem in, in Super Rugby with the resting protocols, as we've discussed at length, but um, yes. certainly just a, it doesn't take much, does it, for a little timing of passes or, um, you, you know, uh, starter plays, whatever else, that if they're just a little bit off, then it can mean a, a long night at the office. Yeah, and, and looking from a Wallabies perspective, a couple of things to pick up on. The fact that the Brumbies couldn't score with so much possession and territory, we know that Eddie Jones has been pretty hot on this idea of possession rugby's dead. We probably saw the shortcomings of Australian rugby there where the Wallabies and, and indeed the Brumbies in this case aren't an Irish or a Leinster kind of model who are heavily possession-based sides. Uh, we didn't see the explosiveness there we saw a big Chiefs pack manage to really just take away any of the dominant force that the Brumbies had played with, particularly guys like Rob Valentini. Um, weren't able to get quick ball for, for guys like Ryan Lonigan and Nola Lucido to play, play on the top of. So we, we even saw, I think it was Jerome Brown, made a, a bad decision go down the blind side after a Nola Lucido break and, and Nick Frost was, was tackled Uh that probably that was another crucial moment there and you get that time over again and you hope to score. Um, but uh, I think, you know, the Brumbies are going to welcome back, I think, Caden Neville this weekend. Um, uh, hopefully, hopefully Nick White. Alan Alatola looks set to miss for a couple of months from what I'm told. This is a huge blow. And, and not only is it a huge blow for the Brumbies, you think about the Wallabies, you think about yep. what's coming with Tamula Tuipo being out on the recovery, uh, of course, but when's he likely to return? He might not play a, a match in the rugby championship. Angus Bell's still on the comeback trail as well. The Wallabies' prop stocks are, are really taking a hit here with three of your best, three of your four best props potentially going to miss the first few weeks of the rugby championship at least. Um, it's a really costly weekend, this one in particular. Well, Tom Robertson, of course, out for the season as well, following Indeed. last weekend's game. So you look, you probably think they're the the top three tight head props in the country, Alatoa, Tupu, and and Robertson, and they're all on the sidelines. And and we know tight head props don't grow on trees to to start with. So it's um yeah, that's that's a big injury. Um touch wood that uh for the Wallabies that Alan Alatoa is uh, back at some point during the rugby championship. But as you said, yeah, early signs. Not looking good. Uh, I did think Tom Hooper had a good game. Oh, He's yes. kind of been yeah. building into that performance, a guy that you and I have both spoken about um, as perhaps being the the bolter, but obviously um, in a stacked kind of uh, lock and, and number six contingent there, he's going to need probably one or two more games and, and hope the Brumbies can, you know, spring an upset um, in, a, in a semi-final if they are to get there. And on that, they now find themselves likely to finish fourth Whereas two weeks ago it was looking like second and having a, a home quarter and a and a semi suddenly it's it's looking like having the Hurricanes at home first up and the Hurricanes are a better team than what they faced last year in a quarterfinal as well, and then probably having to go to the Chiefs in Hamilton to win that. So if they win that, sorry. So um, it, yeah. it is the it is the toughest road to a final if indeed they're going to make it now. It is so costly; it can't be understated. 
you know, the idea of potentially taking on the Waratahs had they finished third even, even if the Crusaders kick on, which we expect them to, uh, it's the, you know, from going to hosting the Waratahs, whose forward pack, let's be honest, has been their Achilles heel for a long, long time, to now have to take on an Artie Sevilla-led hurricane side, blimey. Costly, isn't it? One or two games and, and you know, 80 or 160 minutes in your season, potentially up in smoke. Yeah, you're not wrong. And uh, an interesting stat that uh, was doing the rounds in our, our rugby journos. Uh, WhatsApp group on uh, on Sunday put up by Jamie Pandaram, of course, that uh, no Australian team has ever won a, a playoff game in New Zealand. So um, that's uh, 26 years and counting, uh, you've, you've got to think that they're at long odds to do that again, which only you know brings us back to the Brumbies' decision there, um, which we must say was was put in stone a while back to before they went to Perth. But nonetheless, um, it's looking to be proving uh, reasonably costly. Um, mate, earlier in the day, uh, the Waratahs went to Christchurch, where uh, I don't think anyone really gave them a shot at beating the Crusaders, but. Um, at least they wanted to keep some sort of momentum that they build up in the recent weeks with the softer part of their draw for the season. Um, ended up getting a, an absolute hiding 42-18. But I guess what really disappointed me with this match was that they actually started really well. The first sort of six, seven, eight minutes, um, they were on the front foot. They had the Crusaders backpedaling. I think they forced them into probably five or six straight penalties from, from James Dolman, the referee, um, that eventually brought about the a sin binning. And then they get down and they've got a real shot to kick to the corner from another penalty. And inexplicably, 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 there we go. Third time's a charm. Um, ben Donaldson decides, must have got a call, I can only assume, from the winger uh, out on the right touchline um, and kicks across in the style that saw the Brumby score against the Waratahs from Ryan Lonergan in the first game of the season back in Sydney between the Waratahs and the Brumbies. Um, the ball, I think, uh, was it, did it go dead or dribbled into touch? One of the two. And you're wondering, what the hell was that? Like, you've got the opportunity to really assert your early or turn your early pressure into points, scoreboard pressure. Um, and that was fluffed. And the next thing you know, the Crusaders um, score a bit of a runaway try from a turnover, 50 metres out. Uh, I mean, the, the Waratahs did manage to get back to to an eight, seven leads uh, through a nice Jake Gordon try down the blind side from a scrum. But I mean, that, that was just a, an inconceivable decision at that point in time to uh, throw out an all or nothing play when you dominated the early stands, uh, had the chance to really just put some, some doubts in the Crusaders team. Now they may well have still finished up in this scoreline, but I just couldn't believe that play. And I wonder how much something like that would, would sit with, with Eddie Jones from a Wallabies perspective that we know that Ben Donaldson was in that training squad, but we probably think he's number four in line, if not number five in that number 10 pecking order. You're right to signal that, that moment out. And what frustrated me as well was earlier in the week, I'd been to Waratah's HQ and I'd spoken to a couple of players and some of the coaches in recent weeks. And I'd asked around what's with not, like there's no real attacking crossfield kicks at all. You've got Mark Noing and Owasi, one of the best in the air, and I'd seen firsthand on the spring tour last year how, how good he is in that aspect. You've got Dylan Peach, who's another very, very talented player in the air, particularly from attacking kicks. So like, is it just situations aren't working out for you to do this? 
And then I see it on the weekend and I go, oh, dear, like right idea but wrong moment. You know, the first 10 minutes, first six minutes of it, of a match across the ditch against Crusaders, you've got to pick your moments, don't you? And it just, it was strange. And you, with the exception of Leinster a week and a bit ago when they raced out of the blocks against La Rochelle, most matches are set up. They're not there for individual pieces of brilliance or heads-up rugby like that in the first five, six minutes off the cuff. It's generally pretty scripted. I thought it was a strange decision, and it kind of summed up the Waratahs' poor kicking for the entire game. Um, it wasn't made, it wasn't helped by the fact that Max Jorgensen, who played a lot of fullback this year, unfortunately was injured. Looks set to miss the rest of the year with both an MCL injury and, and a ruptured ACL, from what I've heard. Uh, a devastating blow, but for him to, to leave, Harry Wilson, who not played a huge amount of fullback, comes on and just kicking the ball away at times and kicking the ball not into touch, but straight down in the middle of the park. Good luck against the Crusaders doing that. But they would just stop slow all, all afternoon. Jed Holloway was... Probably his worst game I've seen in a long time. It didn't have the energy that he usually plays with. The kick chase was worse than the kicking itself. Um, it just summed up a pretty kind of strange match, which the Waratahs had actually sent over a pretty good team yep. with the idea of yep. giving this a shake. And it really come back to bite them, particularly after the Jorgensen injury. And, and yes, you might say, and Darren Coleman has said, Look, it's a it's a collision injury. It's not necessarily one which is a load management thing, but we all know that young guys at times need breaks, and when those muscles or or the bone development hasn't quite been there, you probably do run the risk of of those things happening. So it was a disaster for the Tars on the weekend. Yeah, it did look nasty, didn't that that clean out? Uh, Havili really thundered in. You've got to give Max Jorgensen a rap for putting himself. You know, in in harm's way to try and get on the ball and and you know at least be the threat of a turnover. But um, when he cleaned him up, I just thought, oh, that wasn't that wasn't soft. Like he's really going to feel that one. And if it is an ACL, then that's a that's a big blow um, for him. Even if he hadn't made the, the World Cup um, squad, you know, had there been a change of thinking and sent him in with this junior Wallaby squad to South Africa, it would have been a, another really good development opportunity. But um, that's footy, as they say in the classics too. So um, we wish him all the best regardless. Um, and you're right about the kicking. So, I mean, I was pulling my hair out watching it at some points and uh, had a bit of back and forth with, with Jimmy Tucker about it as well. That we know if you go, there's a reason why the Crusaders have lost. I think it might be two or three games, a handful of games anyway, at that Orange Theory Stadium where they've played since the earthquake in, in 2011. Um, you absolutely have to play near perfect, mistake-free rugby and you need the crusaders to be off um now the crusaders were off for the first four or five minutes on saturday but by the 2030th minute mark some of the kicks that as you say and and um harry wilson you know inexperienced obviously but um there was one or two one occasion and after he'd sent two or three down the middle of the paddock um they got a turnover and should have been able to clear and this one this ball just needed to go into row z even if it was 15 you know, 20 metres out and it was 15 metres in from touch. And you're just thinking, you know, well, these guys, that that's, you don't have to be experienced to know that needed to go out. Um, so whether that's a, a skill execution or, or just pressure, maybe a combination of the two, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not like the, like the Brumbies are, are what a loss that's going to 
affect the Waratahs' season. We know they're going to finish sixth, and yeah. and that is the case. And and that by all, um, you know, reports or or all the evidence suggests that they're they're on their way to Auckland uh, in week one of the finals. So um, probably curtains for them there as well, knowing that stat that we just mentioned. But um, yeah, it, it felt like an opportunity for the Waratahs to at least show the progress that they'd made of the past month. And yet I feel, you know, even given their injuries and, and a couple of guys who sat out, um, that it was a, a regression. Yeah, and, and the one thing worth highlighting as well, uh, another poor kick and poor game smarts was was the short drop goal reached, uh, uh line drop kick. I just thought you go long and you've got to play territory thereafter, just uh, defending your line and being reduced to 14 players after a a pretty harsh yellow card to Joey Walton, I thought. The, the other aspect, including and speaking of, of Walton, he's a, he's a classy player on the rise, but we saw that, going back to the continuity and the lack of combinations at times, with a brand-new midfield pairing, I think that was shown up a bit. You know, you talk about connection and you talk about kick-chase connection particularly. Yep. You've got um, Mazzesi to Pilotu and... and Walton combining for really the first time in a long, long time. Uh, no Parisi, no Lalakai Expect those two to at least one of them come back this week, potentially both, and that would be a huge burst leading into uh, the Blues, which is likely to be the quarterfinal in a couple of weeks' time. You can't take Moana Pacific completely lightly. There's some big guys that are going to lay on some hits, but you imagine maybe one or two players rested, maybe, like a Jed Holloway who probably looks like he might need it. And maybe he comes off the bench. I know he's close mates with Michael Hooper. They've spent time in the past. Sometimes those sorts of things are important to get up. But it's also a celebration this week. Michael Hooper's last home game um, for for the Waratahs. He'll wear the number seven jersey. Uh, great moment for him. Great moment to celebrate a guy that's just put his body through the ringer for for so long, he obviously joined, I think he joined the Waratahs in, in 2013 from the Brumbies, I think it was. So yep. a decade of, of service, grew up supporting the franchise, uh, took them to their first Super Rugby title. Uh, get out and celebrate Michael Hooper's uh, long, long time of service for the Waratahs this weekend. It's a big one, an important one to kick on, I think. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Waratahs confirmed that on Sunday, uh, which we had reported previously that this was to be it. Looks like hoops could wind up in the sevens yet or um, a couple of other options out there as well. But certainly uh, farewell in a Sky Blue jersey this weekend at, at Allianz. So if you're thinking about heading along, uh, encourage you to do so. Um, I, I guess, mate, we, we jump back then to to Friday. You mentioned um, just Moana quickly. Uh, they're heading to, to Allianz to face uh, Hooper's Waratahs. Um, came within a the bees proverbial of uh, defeating the Drua. Um, and unfortunately for former Wallabies, uh, fly half Christian Lee Lofano missed a goal or hooked a goal that he probably should have kicked 19 times out of 20, I reckon, and, and would expect to do so. Um, heartbreaker for them, which would have been their, their first uh, victory of the season in what was a pretty high-scoring game there in in uh, Lautoka. Um, an interesting little nugget from Greg Clark, though, in that one that uh, Lee Lofano had applied to World Rugby mm. to represent Samoa, uh, which would be another amazing uh, little tangent or, or, or turning point in, in his career. Um, obviously, we know he came back from leukemia and 
and was one of the Wallabies 10s there in 2019. But that would certainly be a good addition, you would think, for, for a Samoan squad. Oh, totally. And and you're right, it was pretty heart, heartbreaking for, for Moana Pacifica off the back of what's been a very, very tough year for them not to get across the line. What it does do, and I think what it is great, at least for Super Rugby, is it means that the drawer have a genuine shot of making the super finals. I think that's so important for the competition, for the vibrancy of the competition, the sustainability of it. Um, they get a, a great chance this weekend against the Reds. But speaking of Leila Fano, it, yeah, it would be awesome to see him go to a, a, another World Cup, a second World Cup, um, clearly a part of the 2019 one, which he you know, somehow survived and came out of all the odds against him to to line up for the Wallabies that year. It was an incredible, credible campaign for him. Um, you tip your hat to him and it'll be nice to see him run around against the Waratahs, a, a side that he's had many a battle against uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, the Reds, uh, as you mentioned, the team to visit the Drua uh, back in Suva this week. Um, these two teams can still make uh, the quarterfinals, the Reds with a loss, they'll probably go in underdogs, you would think, um, by virtue of a couple of bonus points along the way and one on the weekend. But I thought the Reds were the better team in Dunedin. I thought they they played more of the rugby, um, had overcome some serious injuries. Uh, skip, uh, sorry, co-captain uh, Liam Wright there off early while scoring a try. And it seems to happen in Dunedin. I remember... Um, uh, who was it? Uh, Paddy McCutcheon maybe going back, oh, seven, eight, nine years, uh, scoring a try in a similar method. Um, back rower, uh, cut through a hole and was tackled just short and might have done his Achilles or, or broken leg. Anyway, it was a nasty injury. Um, when I Tate, Tate McDermott went off with a with a uh, head clash, I think. And then the bizarre one of Connor Vest, which we learn more about uh, in the aftermath, a, a fractured neck, uh, walked off. They did check him on, on field for for neck issues, but he walked off. Um, we'll come to that, I, I guess, a little bit later, but let's talk about the actual footy to start with. Uh, brilliant team try scored uh, the red second, um, 95 metres, big Harry Wilson burning through an offload to James O'Connor, back inside to McDermott, Fluke, um, Matt Greeley, and then onto the replacement uh, upfield who'd come on for Liam Wright. Uh, mate, this, if this wasn't the, the try of the season, it's got to be very close to it. Yeah, wasn't it awesome? And it kind of set up the game, didn't it? Very early, Liam Wright had just scored and you thought, geez, the Queensland Reds have come here to play and they're, what was it, 14 nil up after not too many minutes. That was a, uh, it was a good start, great inside ball from O'Connor to, to Liam Wright yep. to score. And, and of course, he's unfortunately done his shoulder and out for the season now. Um, you know, he's, he's any, any World Cup he's had some he had. rotten injury so, luck over the years, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And look, what I loved about it was Harry Wilson's running line. You look at it and he's just cut straight back against the, the grain there. And it was, it was Harry Wilson from a couple of years ago, rather than running straight back in the teeth of defence, uh, a really good line, the sort of thing that made Scott Robertson say I love him. Um, and, and, you know, the great dummy. Uh, the support play was probably the feature of it. The Reds were there, you know, James O'Connor gets it back to, to Tate McDermott and and then all the, the cavalry comes and uh, some good hands, the composure from, from Josh Fluke. And then, of course, the try to, to upfield. It was it was from the straight out of the, you know, the top draw, that one. That was a, that was a super, super try. But you're right. You, you, I think, you know, the Reds... 
we'll look back if they don't make the finals to go, geez, what a, a year of so many what ifs. So I even think about the Crusaders about six weeks ago yep. where they had so many opportunities to close games out, to put pressure on, to convert tries. Just hasn't worked for them. But you lose a key prop like they have with Taniela not being there, you're always going to be on the back foot. But there is certainly lots of lots of upside to this Reds team. And you think about some of the players coming through, Tom Liner, uh, a really astute performance from a young 10 coming through. We talk about kicking game. He's a guy that's got a supremely good kicking game. Um, you know, Tate McDermott had his moments as well. Uh, it was one of Planning Thomas's better games, I thought, at times anyway. Um, but there's certainly some upside for this red side. You hope that the core kind of sticks together for, and then and then you add and build on top of that. But huge game this weekend. You hope that Tate McTermott gets up for it. Harry Wilson said that he'd passed the initial test. Uh, the big the big question is whether or not he's allowed to get onto the field to take the plane to go and to, to, to play against the, the draw because that's going to be a, a supremely tough test for a side that's, I think they've only lost one match at home this year, and that was against a, a pretty classy Blues outfit. Yeah, and gave them a really good run as well. Um, look, there's three separate incidents in this game that we've, we've probably got to mention here and uh, air the the grievances on behalf of the Reds fans, no doubt. Um, you mentioned, uh, oh, sorry, I mentioned earlier the, the hit on Connor Vest that was came later, but James O'Connor was collected. Um, somehow as he threw that ball back inside to keep that amazing try or the lead up that play going uh, there early on uh, that was finished off by by outfield, as we said, uh, hit by Freddie Burns and seemed to at least collect him high-ish or around that um, shoulder head region, a uh, bit of shoulder contact, which could have nicked the head. They looked at O'Connor, um, whether he'd touched the sideline with his foot, perhaps, but yeah. they seemed to have overlooked the actual hit itself. Uh, there was a blatant forward pass missed in the lead up. And this was on Brendan Pickerel. It was too long to, sorry, it was the lead up to Connor Bashup's try, the Highlanders penultimate five-pointer. Um, so it was beyond two phases. So the team, I couldn't come back on that particular occasion. But how Brendan Pickerel missed it, because he was, I don't know, five, 10 metres away, if that, in perfect position to rule on it. A blatant forward pass from, from Freddie Burns. And then maybe a knock-on from Mitch Hunt, I think, on that next phase as well. Uh, and you finish it off then with, that hit on Vest, as we mentioned earlier, which I can understand it was a weird one, wasn't it? It was kind of, it looked low force anyway, and he kind of ran between uh, Shannon Frizzell um, and another, and the prop there, whose name? Uh, and the hooker, Macalea. Sorry, Macalea. Um, and neither player really wrapped. They kind of almost just stopped. It looked low force, but it was shoulder on head at least. What we know from this season, um, that's a, you know got to be a yellow um, probably mitigated down from a red because it was direct contact. All players were low. There's no doubt about that. They were in correct tackling position, but the lack of a wrap from either McAleo or Frizzell, and certainly Frizzell who caught him, um, I just couldn't believe that. And, and when we found out on Saturday morning that it was actually, in fact, a, a fracture in, I think, the the C3, was it? Um, somewhere around there in, in Vest's neck. That is a, a dangerous, dangerous injury, isn't it? Um, it's hard to see that going unpunished at a Rugby World Cup later in the year. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to talk about there. So the Freddie Burns shot on James O'Connor. Freddie Burns is upright. There's no drop in any of his body height whatsoever. So 
instantly, even though he's probably the one who comes off second best almost probably because he's 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 running backwards almost and and he's certainly not going towards O'Connor. Um, that that should have been at the at the bare minimum a, a yellow card. I, I put down the, the best one to a, a rugby incident. I've looked at it this afternoon, particularly after Harry Wilson's comments, where he firstly said that it should have gone punished for a no-arms shot, but secondly that, that Brendan Pickerel and, and the officiating side, the reason why Conor Best walked off was because he was told to hurry up. Now, that's a real concern. It's actually a pretty big accusation if indeed that is the case. I'd listen to as much as what you can from the refereeing, uh, Mike, and and he does say we've had a look, um, you know, and and clears it from a from a yellow card or a red card perspective, and he does say we'll wait because there's a man down. Whether or not over the next ensuing minute there is some pressure for, for Vest to hurry up, he was certainly being attended to by a couple of medical staff who were looking at his neck at the time. I'm okay the fact that it wasn't a yellow card because Best had dropped so significantly, it's not funny. He would have halved his body height from an upright one to one that was really falling. And and on slow-mo, it's always going to look worse. Yes, there was a bit of a cock down from Shannon Frizzell to the back of his neck, lower part of 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 his head. But I just thought he was so low falling and indeed actually the Highlanders players were pretty low themselves. And you think about whether or not the player has the capacity to actually get lower and get his arm around. I just thought it was a rugby incident. I reckon a Wayne okay. Barnes probably says it is. Um, some referees might have said, look, you need to do more to wrap your arm. I just don't know if you can for given how low he was and how significantly he was dropping his height during the, the time that he's running, obviously into a, into a, into a straight line of defence. So you would have been satisfied with just a penalty or, or no sanction whatsoever? I think a penalty for sure, but but I think they'd already got a penalty at the time because uh, Pickerel blew up a penalty. So whether or not he's just gone, look, we've already got the penalty, we don't know. Um, but, it, but it's certainly an interesting kind of case study. And I reckon World Rugby will be looking at that specific example going was the correct procedure followed here because that's the sort of thing that at a World Cup you will see a player drop their body high or slip over and that's what I thought Best was doing he was he looked like he was slipping over rather than actually and falling over stumbling over himself rather than someone who's who's run upright and that just the opposition defense just hasn't dropped their body height at all. There you go. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear more about it, um, both from World Rugby and the Reds, but uh, they they are still alive. Um, a, a bonus point might be enough, as we said, with uh, the Highlanders having to go to to Auckland, where you think they'd be up against it, against a, a red-hot Blues team at the moment. Um, and the Rebels and the Force, they're also still in it as well, um, which, uh, I, you know, the Force. Just when you think they, they might be turning the corner, and as we said last week, you, you see Simon Cron's, you know, uh, blueprint starting to to filter through. Um, they were they were just ordinary against the Rebels. Um, the Rebels played really well, mind you, but you got to think that coming out of the the performance that they had against the Brumbies the week earlier, that um, you know this is the perfect game for the Force to aim up and, and back it up and really show that 
you know, they, they're heading in the right direction. But what we saw um, on, on Friday night, they couldn't be further from the truth. Absolutely hammered by the Rebels, who played really well, as I said. Um, great way to send off uh, Reese Hodge in his final game uh, in Melbourne in a Rebels jersey. Uh, from their players, I, I thought. Um, and and now they, they keep themselves alive. They go to Canberra to face the Brums. Um, they've dropped two in a row. Um, they're a team that have given the Brumbies some trouble over the years, uh, pushed them in a, I think a super rugby AU game there in 2020, took a long range uh, penalty from Ryan Lonigan to get them over the line. So um, I think they're playing well enough, the Rebels, if they play absolutely to their potential to, to give the Brums some grief again. Um, and the force at home to the Chiefs. Now it'll be interesting to see if the Chiefs perhaps give some guys a bit of a breather because um, this is a long journey, particularly for New Zealand teams to get across to Perth, knowing that they've got top spot locked up and there's very little to be gained rather than trying to maintain that continuity. So there's a few variables in play this weekend, aren't there? Oh, look, it, it, we've got to say it has made for a really fascinating last round. We, we know that some of the hosting duties and who plays who are in the, in the top four or five will be interesting. But this is probably the... For an eight-team model, eight-team finals model, this is probably the perfect scenario where yep. there's permutations all over the board. So let's embrace it. We've probably criticised it in the past, going it's a little bit too lenient to have as many sides qualify from a 12-team comp to have a eight qualified. Look, on the force as well, I think what it's gone to show, and it's actually shown right across the board for Australia's super rugby sides, without a tight five, you show able to win matches, and particularly without your your key props, you certainly struggle too. We know that the Brumbies historically have had uh, a lot of depth there. We saw it last year with Slipper and Co. Um, Alan Alalatoa, of course, but without Tom Robertson, without Santiago Madrano, Force have shown nothing this year, and we saw it against the Reds when they were absolutely demolished by a red scrum, which shouldn't be demolishing too many sides. And we saw it again against the Rebels. They were just beaten uh, up front in the set piece. And unfortunately, I can't see them, even if the Chiefs do rest a few players, given their issues up front without having some, some quality internationals there, I think they'll struggle again, unfortunately, this weekend. Um it's 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 a shame, uh, but they certainly know where they need to improve going forward. Good to see Isaac Rodders return, though. Yep. We saw we saw um, he looks composed coming off the off the bench. He looked he added a contribution. We know how good he is at the line out, but we saw him get around to uh, put some pressure on on a on a, on a charge town kick as well. And, and you know that comes down from from Rodder putting himself in a position there, but. Big weekend of rugby, particularly. I think the Rebels have got an outside chance. Uh, Carter Gordon will have to be at his best. Another opportunity to see Carter Gordon up against Noel Alceo. That's an enthralling one. And I imagine a Reese Van Neck kind of comes back into the mix, um, perhaps even to start uh, this side uh, this weekend. And, and the battle with them and Sam Talakai will be really crucial. Talakai is now firmly in the mix as is Pono Pharmacilli yep. for international orders off the back of the, the pretty devastating news with, with Alan Alatoa and Todd Robertson looking like they've got lengthy spells on the sidelines. 
Before we leave Super Rugby for the weekend, um, we, we've got to give a, a big shout out to Mark Talia. Uh, four tries in just, you know, fairly, well, very ordinary conditions in Auckland, um, all in contrasting fashions, doing just about everything you would expect a, a winger to do. But just the final one, I still don't know how he picked that ball up. It was like a reverse backhand rather than scoop it up in the direction he was heading. He came in from behind it with like the reverse kind of digger pick up when you, as if, a, you know, you're digging up some earth with a little mobile digger or whatever, and then just plants it down easy as you like. And oh, your draw was on the floor. I mean, uh, I think Tony Johnson in commentary was, is there nothing this man can do after earlier? He's unbelievable because he stepped to, that just made the four covering Hurricanes defenders virtually end up in in row one that were all coming across there in the corner for his third try back inside. And they went, four of them went whoosh straight past him. Um, I mean, this is a winger at the top of his game, isn't it? We know they're blessed with any number of incredible options in the outside backs. Will Jordan's come back in recent weeks as well. Um, Lester Fying Anuka's playing the house down for the Crusaders. We know the quality of Caleb Clark, Sean Stevenson, uh, Moni Narawa, the list goes on. But, um, I mean, Talia, geez, he's making an irresistible case. He's got to be in that all-black squad, um, if not in uh, in the number 14 jersey. But this was one of the performances of the year. Oh, yeah. I, I was surprised that there wasn't any talk about an obstruction in there when he raced through and, and somehow a chief didn't uh, – sorry, a uh, – uh, a Hurricanes player didn't lay a hand on. I thought maybe there was one or two players that weren't allowed the opportunity to, to tackle him. That was extraordinary when it just opened up like the Red Sea and he's just gone straight through. But he, oh, look, he's been brilliant all year. And it's not just this year. He was excellent last yep. year, which led to his, his All Blacks debut. Here's a question for you. And you're talking about the options there for the All Blacks. We saw in 2019, clearly the decision was made to have two-pronged attack with Richie Mwanga, Bowden Barrett. Uh, it meant that that Ben Smith didn't start at, at fullback for that crucial game against England uh, in the semi-final. Do you get the feeling like they might still do that 10-15 or are we going to see a specialist 15 there or are we going to see someone else like a Geordie Barrett move back to 15 even though he's been playing for 12? How do you think those permutations are going to play out? Because... Will Jordan, for me, we didn't see him on the weekend. He's an out-and-out fullback to me. But where do you squeeze in all these wingers? Because sometimes it's an embarrassment of riches, but do you end up playing the best team or the best players in certain positions? It's a, it's a bit of conundrum for Ian Foster, I think. Massive. It's, um, as we said, a, a number of options, not just on the outside backs, but also in the in the midfield. So far, so that we just think uh, Roger Tuivasa-Shek has probably played his last game for the Blues, let alone... Uh, New Zealand with Bryce Heem, the 34-year-old, I think, coming through and playing the best rugby of, of his career, probably, uh, for the Blues in the midfield. Look, I I got the feeling that he's going to go back to Maunga and, and Barrett again. I'd be playing Will Jordan at, at fullback, and I, I can't understand how he's ended up on the wing on, on occasions so far. Um, we know he's had a delayed start to this season with that inner ear uh, trouble, I think it was. Um yeah, he'd be my fullback. Um, and I like that because it then plays to the strength of obviously the Crusaders uh, combination with Maunga and uh, and Jordan having played together. And I know Richie and, and Bowden have played together a lot too in that 10-15 that we saw in 2019. But uh, I just think maybe bringing Bowden off the bench late on in that role would, would add something as well for the All Blacks. 
Um, as for the wingers, yeah, uh, Flying Anuka we saw last year uh, was brilliant for the Crusaders in Super Rugby, got the opportunities for the All Blacks and really didn't capitalise on them. And then I think was left at home at the end of the year. He kind of dropped right off the uh, the fringes of the squad and, and didn't tour. Um, and in the midfield... Park's pretty irresistible himself there, I think, as well. Yeah, I like the 10-15 combo that you're talking about with the Crusaders, and we don't know how bad David Havili's injury. I think it was on hamstring, but yep. you almost, if he comes back, you almost think that 10-12-15 axis is not a bad one. Jordy Barrett, of course, do you start him? Where do you play him? You potentially have both Barretts on the bench, I think, as guys that can cover multiple positions in that in that back line. Where does Anton Leonard Brown fit into it? Oh, look, there's there's some serious options there. Are they in a more challenging position perhaps than the Wallabies in terms of how they'll play the rugby championship? Do you think that they have got, as we know, I think they've got four rugby championship tests, obviously, and then the game against the Springboks at, at Twickenham. Are they trying to find out what is the best combination there of all these guys? Or are they trying to find the number one, settle on it, and hope that that rolls through then to the World Cup? Because um, there's only so much wiggle room for experimentation there, isn't there? Well, I think they'll do a plan A and a plan B. When they when they bring out that plan B and A, I'm not sure. But up until the weekend, I would have thought the Wallabies are in a better position in terms of knowing how they might structure it should, um, from a strategy perspective. I think the Wallabies are going to start winning and they need to build that confidence. But now off the back of Alan Alatola's injury, I just can't see how the Wallabies can aim up against a Springboks pack. That'll be super tough now to work out how they're going to plan um, from a strategic perspective. And even you think about how you are going with a mentality sort of um, frame around how you're going to approach the rugby championship, particularly when you're playing Argentina less than a week later uh, off the back of a huge travel load to South Africa and back. I just don't know if they're going to necessarily lay out their number one side now against the box. Yes, they need to start and they will want to start the season well, the international season well, but do you bring out a few of your best players like your Quade Coopers when I don't know if they're going to be able to challenge up front and you just don't win matches against the box unless you challenge up front. It's a huge, huge conundrum now for Australia about how they approach it and their whether or not they're going to try to go really heavy for the Bledisloes or potentially just that that French game in Paris and you try yep. to land a, a real strike there. But for, for New Zealand, I think, you know, I don't I don't know if they have to go over to South Africa to play the box. I haven't checked that one out no, for a little while. No, no, but... they've got um they've got uh all black spring box at the uh the home of the New Zealand Warriors, Mount Smart Stadium. Yeah, it's a curious one there with, with of course, the, the Women's Football World Cup taking place as well. But, yeah, I think that's a, it allows them not to necessarily show all their cards. And I think there'll be a few teams like New Zealand and Australia potentially hold back a little bit, knowing that either injuries haven't fallen their way or, indeed, they just want to build and experiment one or two ways. Um, and, and the 10-15 combination might be one for the, for the All Blacks. Yeah, fascinating. A couple of weeks of selection there when we hit July. Uh, Mate, before we wrap up this week, uh, Eddie Jones, Quade Cooper, Summer Karevi, and of course Israel Folau all in action um, at Twickenham last night. And perhaps this was a good weekend for Eddie to be on the other side of the world, given what we saw from some Aussies down here. 
Um, we know the Israel Folau stuff happened previously. Distraction last week. Uh, Steve Hansen defended that selection. There was the protests at the game. He played, scored a try, set another one up. No matter which side of, of that whole imbroglio um, you sit, um, I, I think you can say that, you know, he, he's he's out there, he's playing, he's going to be at the World Cup with, with Tonga. So um, everyone's within their rights to protest. And at this stage, he's within his rights to play. So we move on. Um, Samu Karevi uh, picked up a little hamstring injury, not thought to be too serious. I think probably you wonder if Eddie heard that and just said, that'll do you. Samu, um, he did go up the tunnel after about 20 minutes, I think. Had a couple of nice runs before that. Uh, Quaid, some nice touches as well. Lovely chip over the top for uh, Tavita Lee. Barbarians end up winning, I think, 32,000 people there in the London Sun. Beautiful afternoon. Um, but just, I, I guess, with a caveat, we don't know quite for sure how bad Samu's injury might or might not be. But um, a great opportunity for these guys to get a hit out, even if it was only 20 minutes together. Um, that's probably 20 minutes that they weren't going to get uh, previously earlier in the year. And and certainly a, a hit out for Quaid, which went into the second half before he was replaced by Aaron Cruden, only a couple of games back for Kintetsu before, uh, after his Achilles injury. Um, I guess a good result all around. Yeah, I think so. And and presuming that injury isn't so bad, I, I, I do suspect, given that we saw photos of Samu later and seeing those... He pretty happy, yep. Um, I think that's probably an indicator. Uh, it would have been devastating to lose one of them, and there would have been some questions asked had there been a, a significant injury. But but I do think it was an important step for both of them to play regardless because uh, the, the combination, the extra week that they spend, the extra week that Eddie spends with both Quaid and with Samu, I think significant. I still have Quade Cooper as a, a massive bolter for the Wallabies captaincy this year. Oh, I, I think he is someone that you empower. And after one or two moments of probably feeling like he's been, uh, you know, playing with his hands behind his back, maybe not giving the keys to the castle, I think you break the shackles and you go, you are our man. Uh, I can see that happening. And I think that's a really important week for Eddie and Quade to communicate without the burden of Australia's media or whoever speaking about specifics with the game. I think that's a really crucial stepping stone for them going forward in what is a huge, huge year. So uh, exciting, I think, for everyone. Good that they come back. Another opportunity for Eddie to see Harry Hawkins play. Does he make a return at some point? I think he's re-signed for another year with Suntory, but even a Rob Simmons you never know who you might have to call upon during a World Cup year. And some of those little chats might be and prove more significant than you first think. Yeah, London Irish are also looking like the um, the third uh, English Premiership team to be headed, uh, if not for insolvency, then without a home in the Premiership. Um, players, uh, I think, uh, haven't had uh, pay packets appearing in their bank accounts and um, being told to perhaps look for Employment elsewhere, uh, not good signs, but perhaps there might be a few Aussie guys return home as a result of that. Rob Simmons, you mentioned, um, I think Joe Powell's um, there as well. And Yeah, I think Rob Simmons going to France, but uh, you'd certainly be looking at guys like Ollie, uh, Ollie Hoskins, Hoskins yep. uh, who, who, of course, had a pretty incredible um, Wallabies debut. No one would have dreamt of, of Ollie Hoskins getting a call-up, but 
in the 2021 spring tour. But yes, uh, things to and players to consider if they become available once again, because other than Irish, who actually had a great year and just missed out in the finals. Even coaches, guys like your Deccan Kidneys or your, your Les Kisses, do they become and find homes? And we know that Brad Davis, the the Wallabies attack coach this year was supposed to go back to London Irish. His future will be very, very interesting to see as well. Any updates on who could land at Ballymore? I think there's five candidates and there's potentially a sixth as well. And hopefully I've done my maths right. A question without slight notice, but I get the feeling like it'll be a Queenslander. Todd O'Keefe has got some, some support. I think you can you can certainly he's he's run for it. Um, you've got, um, of course, Matt Taylor who has bought and craved the, the Queensland head coaching job for quite a while. I think you'd have to throw McKeenan in there. He's clearly an assistant, probably heir apparent. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Phil Blake does give it a crack. Jason Gilmore may have re-signed for the task for a couple of years, but. I reckon there would be a clause in there for him to potentially have a an, have an opportunity for him to go. The other one, Zane Hilton, um, is I think likely to land either as a boards coach or a head coach. But the one that I think would be uh, the, the you know the the one that catches five people by surprise is maybe Scott Johnson. It wouldn't surprise me. He's been there as a consultant for the last year. Very good with with speaking to particular people on, on boards. Respected around Ballymore, he's a probably the most high profile person out of that lot. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he lands there as as the head coach. You I, I think there's certainly some support for Todd Ikefu though. Yeah, and Todd's I guess cut his teeth too. He's been did that job with Queensland Country uh, and the NRC there a few years ago, and then. Of course, been coaching Tonga uh, for the last few years, and um, he's going to take them to the World Cup with uh, Mrs. Falau, as we mentioned, and Pia Tao, and uh, a couple of others as well. So, um, yeah, anyway, you need this, some watch, good technical, watch this space. Yeah, I think you'd need some good technical people around him because, from what I hear, obviously, I haven't been coached by Todd I, but very good um, speaker. Uh, you know, of course, he's going to lead by example. He's got the respect from everyone, given his feats as a player. And but I think maybe not. It probably speaks in a different way to Brad Thorne, but more of an inspirational coach, perhaps, than a real technical one. So, who you would have as a support team? It's very, very crucial, and uh, they're some of the considerations that you've got to bring to the table now about who might join. So, you know, some people have thought. Chris Latham is a, is a really skilled person and tack coach, obviously a, a really, really good player in his own right, but is, has spent time as a coach previously. Whether or not he's liked by everyone is the big question. So, yeah, lots going on up in Ballymore, and we'll probably find out over the next couple of weeks what's going on there, particularly because at the moment they're just not really recruiting anyone. It's all from their internal pathways, and let's be frankly honest, that hasn't helped and it hasn't, you know, the, the Queensland rest, you can't just rely on your local talent. You need to get one or two guys to prop up particular positions. And speaking of props, good luck replacing Tanya Tupo. Yeah, big shoes to fill, no doubt, which they've struggled with 
this year. Uh, all right, mate. That's a pretty good wrap, I think. Um, of course, yeah. Uh, big weekends coming up. Uh, five teams still in uh, in contention for those final two spots. Um, I'm going to go. I think it might be the Reds and Drua who survive. I think the Drua might beat the Reds, but the Reds might hang on to their position, um, if my maths are correct, um, for seventh and eighth. Um, I don't know how you see it. I actually agree. I think the Drua will win. I think the fact the Reds have caught a couple of injuries doesn't help them at all. Um, but if they can seek a losing bonus point, that's going to be crucial. I can see, you know, one of the force of Brumbies will, will go close, I think, but I don't know if either will have enough to get across the line. The Highlanders, I don't think, will be good enough against a, a Blues team unless they decide to rest multiple players, knowing that they've got a pretty big three weeks ahead of them. So anyway, watch this space, a lot going on. Anyway, yeah, as you said, enjoyable uh, final weekend to watch uh, of Super Rugby Pacific, mate. Thanks again for your time. I know you're a busy man. Uh, good luck at the optometrist. Hopefully, I don't expect it's as painful as going to the dentist, but um, yeah, you get measured up and uh, and you're back uh, with 2020 vision by the end of the week. <laughs> Thanks, Brucey. On that note, we'll see you in 2020. <laughs> Cheers, all. I'll talk to you again next week.